0: Once again, good morning. How are you all? Are we good? Good. Awesome. It's great to be here with you guys again to open up God's Word together with you. Uh, If you have your Bible and you want to turn to uh, John chapter 9, we're going to be there one more time. Um, um, And actually, I may just remind you about the purpose of this book. So we've been in the book of John now for quite some time. Uh, This is the uh, our series called The Word. We're doing a study of the book of John, and I want to remind you of the purpose of this book. And it's funny because sometimes you're left kind of wondering or trying to figure it out or trying to deduce what the purpose of a book is or what the main themes are and things like that. And if you are into Bible study or all that stuff, there's a lot of great resources online. Some of your Bibles themselves have some of the main themes and the key verses and all that stuff in it. The beautiful thing about the book of John is that the gospel writer John himself, really far back, late in the book, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, tell us the point of the book. So it says this in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Pretty awesome. John, the gospel writer, says, I have written these things. I have recorded these things. The signs that you've heard and seen in my writing that Jesus has done, he did even more than that. But I wrote these down so that you might believe and by that believing might have life in his name. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. When we started Mercy Hill Church, um, I have to tell you, I was a little frustrated with church at that moment. Like, not this church or what God was doing in this church, but I'd been a part of church and a part of churches, and it just seemed too complicated. And honestly, what did it turn into, some of the churches that I've been a part of, is that it turned in about a show, a presentation, a lot of splash, a lot of flash, a lot of um, just really sharp things, but unfortunately, I felt like we mucked up the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel a lot of ways. The gospel is beautifully simple. The church of Jesus Christ, if you look through the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came down and ignited that church, it says that they devoted themselves to a few things. They simply devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to uh, fellowship, to prayer, to breaking of bread, It was beautifully simple, and the Lord, the Lord God, the Holy Spirit of God, dwelling in the church of God, did the work. Added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved. It was beautifully simple, and so when I'm reminded of the purpose of the book, why the gospel writer John wrote these things down for us, Simply that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we'll experience the life that is found in him. And so the last two weeks we've been in, the, uh, chapter, uh, in chapter 9. We're going to continue to look in chapter 9 and kind of finish up the story of the man born blind. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple different aspects of this story. Right, It's a story of an amazing miracle. But it's not just a miracle, it's a sign. Now, oftentimes, the book of John is referred to the book of signs. There are seven main signs that are recorded, that John, the gospel writer, recorded in this book. Chapter 2, you remember, was water turned into wine. We talked about that extensively. Chapter 4 was the healing of the official son. Chapter 5, there was the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And also, uh, then in chapter 6, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Later on in chapter 6, Jesus walks on water, and now we've seen the healing of the man born blind, the man who was a beggar at the temple gate, and Jesus sees him and takes notice of him. And the beautiful thing about these miracles is that they're more than miracles, they're signs. We talked about that extensively a few weeks ago. It's not just a miracle for the sake of wow or a display of power, although that's part of it. It's not just a miracle for the comfort or relief of an individual, right? You've got this man who was born blind, that is desperate. He is needy. He is a beggar. And God is compassionate. The God we serve is compassionate. He's a good father who loves and cares for his children. So yes, the relief of his uh, infirmity the the relief of his situation is part of it. The healing that happens is part of it. but this miracle, something supernatural, is a picture of something deeper it 's not just metaphor but a picture that points to a reality so deep that it 's difficult for us to comprehend it 's difficult for us to see it 's actually i mean, I'll, i have to rephrase it it 's actually impossible for us to see without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That's part of the point of the sign. It's part of the point of this miracle, actually, that without the power of Christ, the lights of the world, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we do not understand the point of him or what he has done. We don't understand or realize exactly who he is and what he has done for us. And if we don't understand, we will not believe. And if we do not believe, as we know already, we will not find life. And so, Jesus, in his mercy, opens the eyes of the man born blind. That man being a picture, it's more than just um, a physical deficiency a physical ailment, a physical affliction. It's a spiritual picture for a spiritual reality. The fact that this man was born blind, that is the state of every person in this room. So many times when we think about sin and the effects of sin, we think of the sins that we do the outworkings of our sin, but really all the sins that we commit, all the things that we do and all the things that we don't do, the, the, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the, the sins of, of actively rebelling against God or actively disobeying and not doing what he's told us to do. Oftentimes, that's what we think of sin. It's just the stuff that we've done that disqualifies us from life in Christ. When you look at scriptures, you see that it's more than that. It's not just the stuff that we've done, but it's a nature that we've been born in. It's a nature that we've been born with, and that nature needs to be made new. It's not that we were born into the light and then became dark. It's not that we were born innocent and then became defiled. Like a lot of times we have that mentality, and it turns out to be this like, cosmic balance of good deeds and bad deeds, and it becomes far more karmic than it does Christian. But there's a doctrine called total depravity, where us, people, humanity is utterly helpless to merit salvation without the work of the Holy Spirit of Christ. Scripture is clear about this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3 says, They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. Verse 3 says, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, declaring our old state, it says this in verse 1, it says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The man born blind is a picture of the utter darkness and utter sin in which we were born. It's not just the result of our actions, but our nature That's why a rebirth, a regeneration, is key. It needs to happen. Like we've read in John chapter 3, you must be born again, that the flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit alone gives birth to spirit. And that's what Christ does by faith. That's what Christ does by believing on him. New life, new birth, all because of Christ. It's not merely about becoming a better person who does better things, maybe a little bit more moral. It's not about behavior modification, but nature transformation. It's not a mere better person, but a new creation. That's what Jesus does. He opens our eyes. And it sounds kind of weird, but He opens our eyes to see the darkness of our hearts. He opens our eyes to see the sickness of our souls. He opens our eyes to see our need of Jesus, to behold him as healer and savior and redeemer. The lights of Christ, the lights of the world, he first shines into our heart to see our blindness. As I said, it sounds strange to say, but there's a whole world out there that is blind to their need of Christ. They are bound. They are bound by sin. As we sang this morning, our chains are gone. I've been set free, right? We were bound by sin, and there's a world out there that can't even see it. Their state of being a slave to sin, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Last week, we really looked at suffering. We know that God is glorified in the healing of this man. We know that God is glorified in, in moments of restoration and redeeming that which was lost and blind and broken. But we also said that God is glorified even in the suffering. God is glorified even in the affliction. It's not some sort of karmic punishment for messing up, but affliction and suffering and trials should be expected by those who are even in Christ Jesus. The beginning of this chapter, John chapter 9, verse, verse 2, the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What caused it? They knew what caused it, or at least they thought they knew what caused it. They thought the cause was sin. They were just trying to figure out who sinned. But Jesus answers, and he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Some versions might say the glory of God might be displayed in him. See, God in his mercy, that sovereign God that we've already spoken of this morning, that sovereign king who reigns and rules over all, God in his mercy and his sovereign providence of, in our lives as part of his gracious discipline and care, as part of the way that he matures us and grows us up in him, he allows affliction to befall us for his glory. It's kind of painful sometimes, isn't it? It's kind of the things that we don't like sometimes. But we can trust that he is sovereign. We can trust that we, his church, his bride, is washed in those moments of fire, of persecution, of affliction, that we are washed and sanctified and purified by that fire. And we can hold fast and, and hold true to his trustworthy word and his unchanging and unending love. Like I said last week, our understanding of suffering is vitally important to our understanding of God. If we get that wrong, we're going to get a lot of things wrong about God and his love for us and his care for us. He's not indifferent to your suffering. Even though he allowed it to happen, even though he allows it to happen, it's not that he is just sitting back, folding his hands, saying, you know what, figure it out. He is walking with you in those moments and and refining and doing things that we probably don't even understand and see in the moment, but he is working and willing for his glory and for our good that we would bear the image of Jesus more and more. So this week, let's continue in our story. Let's look again at this text, at one of the big reasons why the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were growing in their disdain of Jesus. They were growing in their desire to kill him, okay? So tensions have been mounting over the past few chapters. We know this. Jesus is making some bold claims that we talked about, right? He says, I am the light of the world. These religious leaders would have seen the, the connection to Isaiah, to the, prophets, uh, to the prophecy in Isaiah, right? That the, the, those that have walked in darkness, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's making messianic claims. And now, today in our text, it seems that he's disregarding and disobeying the law of Moses. So let's read in our text again today, John chapter 9. Starting, uh, let's start in verse 13 today. It says this. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Okay, he's healed now. And now he's brought before the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. It was the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees asked again, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was divisions among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Let's just stop right there for now. Let's pray before we do anything else. Jesus, again, we come before you, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word. That is true. We thank you for your Holy Spirit alive in us that illuminates, our, our, opens our eyes to the beauty of you, opens our eyes to our sinful state, but opens our eyes to the behold Christ. Jesus, please do that again today. Open our eyes. Let us see. And God, give us the boldness and the humil- humility, God, to give it all up for you again. God, those of us in this room that maybe are we're holding on, we're holding on to our lives, maybe there's things in our lives that we're afraid of letting go of, not relinquishing everything over to you, but God, I pray that everything we are, everything we have would be given over to you for the glory of Christ. All of the good things, all of the trials, all of the suffering, all of the amazing moments of healing where you've stepped in and shown yourself powerful in our lives. God, let us give all of those moments over to you as worship. I thank you for this morning. Be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is the second time in the last few chapters that we've seen Jesus heal on the Sabbath. And there's some commentators uh, that I came across over the last couple of weeks that, that really, it's not that the Pharisees were upset necessarily about the healing, but it's the way that he healed. And you have to think that when you read this text, that the way, like spitting in the dirt and making some mud and then sticking that mud in somebody's eyes is a strange thing. Right? If I did that to you today, you wouldn't come back, would you? I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you at all. It's a strange thing to do, but as I was looking at some commentators this week, um, there is a a similarity to the word for making mud and making bread. Like, there's a kneading that happens, and kneading on the Sabbath, whether it's bread or whether it's mud, is a no-no. Okay, so may, this is where they were, get, they were getting pretty sticklers about stuff. You can't make mud on the Sabbath because that's like kneading and making bread, which is a no-no on the Sabbath. And if Jesus healed on the Sabbath once, and, you know, the guy picks up his mat and walks, and the Pharisees get all upset, you would think, okay, maybe once, maybe Jesus made a mistake. Maybe he lost track of the days. Did that ever happen to you? Have you ever sat back and gone, what day is it? It happens around the holidays. The next couple of weeks, there's going to be a few times where I'm going to look at my wife and go, what day is it? Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Is it a weekend? Is it sometimes? So, like, maybe Jesus lost track of his days. didn't? Re- okay, but this is the second time. Seems like it's pretty intentional, right? We talked about it. It is definitely intentional. Chapter 5, right, there was a man who was lame. He was afflicted for 38 years. He's sitting by the pool of Bethesda. He's waiting for those waters to be stirred. Jesus heals him, restores him on the Sabbath. And like I said, it is amazingly intentional. We mentioned a few weeks ago, and it's worth reiterating, that Jesus' healing on the Sabbath is a bold statement. It's a declaration to all, but especially those who feel that their acts, that their deeds, that their following of the law is in itself the thing that merits their life. Again, I think Jesus' healing on the Sabbath isn't merely some rebellious flex against the religious elite to show his power and control. Not like me sometimes eating ice cream before dinner in front of my kids. You ever do something like that, right? And the kids are like, hey, wait, what? Why do you, why do you get to? And you ever just said, because I'm dad? Like you ever pull that one, that, that flex, where it's like, I can do whatever I want because I'm dad. I don't think it's like that. Although he could have just said, you are a disciple of Moses, right? In verse 28 of our text, they are talk, the, the, the Pharisees are talking to the man, and he says, you are one of his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We follow his law. We obey his commands. And Jesus could have looked at them, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, He could have looked at those Pharisees and said, you know that law that was given to Moses? You know that law that you follow? I was there on that mountain. When those commandments, when the Big Ten came down from the mountain, I was there in the thunder, in the lightning. That was me. I was there in the beginning. I am the eternal word. I gave those commandments to Moses for my people, but I gave them... As a picture of something eternal, something bigger. Jesus was Lord over it all. Reminded this week of the beautiful text in Matthew chapter 12, right? Again, Jesus shaking it up on the Sabbath. Verse 1, it says this at the time, Matthew 12, verse 1, it says, At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, he said to them, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read that David, when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? Which it is not lawful for him to eat, or for those that were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read that the law, in the law, on how... How on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. That's a bold statement. Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Son of Man is a phrase, and I don't know if you realize this, that's a phrase that's used... Uh, I think I've read 88 times in the New Testament referring to Jesus as the Son of Man. And really what it is, is it's, it's hearkening back to Daniel chapter 7, a prophecy about the Messiah. So when he uses that phrase, of himself, that's a big deal as well. Verse 9, it says, he went out from there and entered the synagogue. Okay, so Jesus goes in this. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? Exclamation point. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out and was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Again, I don't think this is just some rebellious flex of power over the religious elite. I think it is a display of his power. But the Sabbath is a big deal. It was a big deal. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? I mean, it's more than just a day of rest. It's a day to mark holy, to keep holy. And do you remember why it's a big deal? It's not simply that you need a break in your week. It's not that you just simply need a day off and some rest, and that's part of it, a very, very small part of it. God made our bodies to restore and mend in rest. That's why we sleep every day. You ever get sick when you've been running ragged? When I was in college, I was a part of a a music group that we... We we ended up doing nine weeks of youth camp, um, back to back, all through the summer. Camp counselors for nine weeks, playing music, playing worship. It was it was a blast. Thinking back, like I could never do it now because I'm not a young kid anymore. But I was like, I didn't sleep for nine weeks. Who sleeps at youth camp? You ever been in a cabin with a bunch of teenagers? You don't sleep. So I didn't sleep for nine weeks, and we had a break before we did like kind of part of our fall tour where we toured churches and and played in different churches and promoted the the college that we were part of and all of that. And we had uh, like a four or five-day break after those nine weeks of camp before we had to go out on the rest of the tour. And I was like, oh, yes, I can't wait for some time off. It's going to be so great, so sweet. Sure enough, the last day, my body gave up. And I got so sick. I wasn't able to enjoy any of those five days. I was laid out with a cold. It was horrible. We must rest. And God, in His mercy, calls us to rest. But there is so much more than just a day off, so much more than just not working and exerting ourselves. The Sabbath. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, if you look at that, remember, God created the world in six days and he said that it was good. And he created mankind and he said, it is very good. Husbands, look at your wives right now and say, very good. He created man everything was perfect. There was no sin, nothing was corrupted, nothing was defiled. And there was no more work to do, so God rested. Everything was perfect and right and pure. There was no sin, no death, no discord. Everything in life was harmony and unity, so God rested. And a few chapters later, sin enters the world, and everything is broken. There's sickness, there's death, relationships with God become broken. Man is full of shame. They run, they hide, they try to hide themselves from God. Relationships between people are broken. There's this first sibling fight that ends with murder. Everything is broken, and God gets back to work to redeem and to restore and to fix that which is broken, and he was going to do that in his son, Jesus. This God who makes everything good, even when things went not good, That God did not shrug his shoulders. He had a plan that included sending his son, the light into the world to open up darkened eyes so that they might see and believe and in their believing, find life again. Find life in him. John chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus answered them, This is right after the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. In our text last week about this man being born blind, in John chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Christ in his mercy working and willing for his glory and for the redemption of mankind. As long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world to illuminate darkened hearts, darkened eyes to behold him as the Christ so that they might believe and find life. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. The Sabbath established in the perfection of creation. It also points to the return of Christ, right? We feel the pains of this world. We feel the afflictions and the hurts and the pains and the trials and the sickness that befalls us. And we await a blessed hope when Christ returns and restores order to all of it, redeems all of it, heals all of it, makes all things new when we see him face to face, we will enter our eternal rest. A few weeks ago, we talked about that. Like the Sabbath, man, that having a day off in your week, right, is not just about rest, but it is pointing to our eternal rest in Christ Jesus. That's why it's holy. Because we as God's people are awaiting something perfect and precious and beautiful when we will see our God face to face when our faith will become sight, when our eyes will see clearly. John chapter 5 reminds us that all scriptures are about Christ and point to him. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says that all of the law is fulfilled in Jesus. That he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law, and that includes the Sabbath. Our Sabbath is found in the Lord of the Sabbath. That those who believe in him will have life in him. Those who believe in the Son of Man will enter into his eternal rest. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Place your faith in believing in him. Find eternal life and eternal rest for your soul in him. Before we conclude today, let's jump down to the rest of the story. John chapter 9, uh, turn to verse 35. Remember, um, if, you, if you've read this story, we, I know we jumped around in a little bit, but, but the Pharisees confronted the parents of this man. They wanted him to testify, and they actually ended up saying, he's of age, let him tell you himself. And it actually says that it's because they were afraid of the Pharisees. They basically like threw their, their son under the bus, and they're like, talk to him, he's of age, he'll tell you. But it's because there was a lot of peer pressure on being cast out of the synagogue, and the synagogue was the center of Jewish life. It was very important. There was was a very important communal living that happened around the synagogue. Verse 35 says, As Jesus heard that they had cast him out, so they cast this man out. And having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Okay, again, think of Daniel chapter 7. Son of Man. He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Think about that. How, how, how long has it been since this guy has had sight and one of the first things he gets to behold, to see with his eyes, is the Christ, the Son of Man, the one that Daniel talked about? You have seen him, verse 37, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. You see this man's response. He sees the Son of Man not just with natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes, he sees that he is the Messiah, the one foretold, the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who is the light of the world, and he believes. And as we already established in John chapter 20, it says that these things were written that you might believe, and that in your believing you would what? Have life in him. That's what Jesus does. That's what the light of the world does. All of the healings, all of the miracles, all of the signs in the book of John or throughout Scripture is not just about a physical affliction being remedied. It's pointing to a spiritual reality that is the reality for all of us in this room. We were once in the dark Blind, unable to see, but God in his mercy has opened the eyes of many in this room, praise be to God. That we would behold him, that we would see our dark, sinful nature, that we would behold him as the Son of Man, the light of the world who has come. If you are in this room There is reason. If you are in this room and you have believed and have life in him, there is good reason to rejoice. I'll just say this. I am in the worship band today. A little distracted because I have to, like, push buttons and play guitar and whatever. And I love to be able to serve that way, and I, I love music, and I love all of that stuff. But there's something about just, like, sitting here with you guys and being able to just lift my hands and to worship him, like, I I love it. I love it. I love worshiping with you guys. And there's sometimes, uh, just being honest as a pastor, I don't know if it's appropriate. It might be appropriate. It might be very appropriate, actually. It might be good. Where I want to grab some of you guys by the shoulders, and I want to shake you. And I want to go, do you believe the words you're singing? Do you have any understanding about who he is and what he's done for you? Because if you did, it would be far more jubilant in here. You guys tried to clap today in worship, and it was super half-hearted. I'm just saying. (laughs) Nate was trying. He was trying. I'm alive, alive in you, Jesus, right? Singing some beautiful words. But man, do you realize how dark our hearts were? How unable to see we were in what Jesus has done for us? Praise be to God. If you're in this room today and you haven't experienced that, but you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, that you need to believe on him, and that by believing on him, you will have life eternal. Today's your day to confess your need of him. Just confess your need saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you open my eyes to behold you as the Christ, the light of the world, the one who is lord over sabbath, over the sabbath and lord let me experience life and rest eternal in you. What a glorious thing it is to be loved by God. So as we wrap up today, I'm going to invite the band to come back. Is there anybody in here who is tired? Not that you just need a good nap, like a week-long nap. It's funny because the holidays are coming and I'm already tired. Like I have to like really muster up some, I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's going to have to be Jesus. If you're weary, you serve a God who is Lord of the Sabbath. Allow him to fill you with his Holy Spirit to re-energize your life, that he would restore unto you the joy of your salvation, as it says in the Psalms. That you would behold Christ and see him again beautifully and rejoice that you are loved by him. Rejoice that he has an eternal rest for you because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Next week starts our Advent series. We'll be looking at all of those traditional Advent themes that we normally look at. But the kind of the tagline, the byline that we're using for our series this year is the weary world rejoices. The weary world rejoices because the light of the world has come and has shown himself Beautifully into the darkened hearts of mankind. He's called us to himself and he's made us his bride. So church, let's rest in him. Let's find our peace in him. Let's find our joy in him. Let's find that everlasting love in him. And let's rejoice in him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. In a moment, we'll sing together. The first question is for those of you in this place that you have never placed your faith in Christ. Do you know that this morning that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and that you have to make that declaration that I believe in him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to find salvation and life in him. Today, if you're in this place and you want to make that declaration that you need salvation in Christ, I'd love to pray for you. So if that's you in this place, if you just don't mind, just look up and catch my eye, please. Look up and look. Thank you. Awesome. Just look up and catch my eye. Praise be to God. Thank you. Awesome. Father, I pray for those in this room that are making that declaration. They confess their need of you. They confess their faith in you. God, let them find life and rest in you today. Confirm it in their hearts by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen them to no longer live for themselves to the glory of your name alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you. Maybe there's some of you in this room today and uh, maybe it's more than being tired, but maybe you're just a little weary. Maybe it's the cares of the world. Maybe there's some financial stresses. Maybe there's just a heavy, like there's a heaviness to the world. Everything going on, so much division, so much unrest. Maybe you're just a little weary and today you just say, I need a touch from God. Like, if that's you, look up at me and catch my eye. Because I'm looking at you, just so you know. (laughs) I'm making the same confession right now. let's press into our God today. As we go to a time of worship, let's press into our God, the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. And let's find peace and rest in him. Father, I pray for my friends here today, those who are weary, those who are struggling, those who need a touch from you today. God, I confess that I am one of those people. I need you. I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit again. I need you to fill me with life again. I need you, God, to open my eyes, to bring my eyes up from the things of this world, to bring them back on the beauty and the power of you. Let me fix my eyes on you, O Lord. Find peace and joy and rest in the one who is the light of the world and the Lord of the Sabbath. Pray for my friends. Fill them, I pray. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our God again together. And I want you to worship. Okay? Don't just sing words. Worship.